Welcome to Living Word Church. Let's hear from Pastor Ben as he teaches from the Gospel of John in our Eternal Word series. So Branchology 101, the, the, the basics. The basics, that's I had another title for the message and I was sitting in my office on Friday and I just thought of the basics, the basics, basic theology 101. We're talking about branches and vines and Jesus said last week he is the true vine. We saw that in John 15 and we are the branches. So branchology 101, the basics, the basics. Well, you know, football season is upon us. How many of you are excited about football season being upon us? Any football fans? Yeah, I might get the loudest clap about football today. And I thought about the basics. When you think about football, you think about the basics. You want to get the basics done. The fundamentals need to be done accurately. And I thought it would be neat to kind of hear some famous coaches kind of talk about some fundamental principles of being a good leader, a good football player. This is uh, Vince Lombardi. He's probably the most famous NFL football coach of all time, right? I mean, the, the trophy they give the champion at the end of the year is the Lombardi trophy. Vince Lombardi said, leaders are made, they are not born. Leaders are made, they are not born. George Hallis, he coached the Bears. He said this, never, he said, nobody who ever gave his best regretted it. It's the basics. Nobody who ever gave his best regretted it. The basics of, of being a good leader, a good football player. Uh, Bill Belichick, how many of you know his famous quote? Does anybody know it? There's somebody in here that I know knows Bill Belichick's famous quote. Huh? I miss Tom Brady. You miss Tom Brady. <laughs> That's his famous quote, absolutely. But his other famous quote, his other famous quote, that's really funny. His other famous quote is, do your job. Do your job, right? Basics. What about this? Chuck Knoll, the famous Steelers coach, he said, if I, had to, if I have to motivate you, I will fire you. If I have to motivate you, I will fire you. How about John Madden? Can't quote coaches without quoting John Madden of the Raiders. He says, self-praise, self-praise is for losers. Be a winner. Always have class and stay humble. The basics, the basics, right? Football. Well, there's so much more in things in life that are more important than football, even though we all enjoy and love football. But when we're thinking about the basics of the Christian life, branchology 101, we, we learned last week that Jesus is the true vine, that, that he is and he was what we could never be, but, but, but he came to make us more like him, to conform us into his image. And that's what we saw last week. And, and today we're going to look a little bit more about the life of the branch. We are branches. He is the vine. And as a Christian, we are grafted into the vine, which is Christ. And, and that's where we get our spiritual nutrients. And so that's kind of the basics of the Christian life. Jesus is a vine. And by faith, we are grafted. We are implanted into the vine. And our spiritual growth is connected to our connection with the vine, who is Christ. And so Jesus is going to dig down even deeper into some basics of branchology, of the Christian life. And we're going to continue in John 15. Let's pick up where we left off last week. John 15, starting in verse 12. Jesus says, who's the true vine? He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that somebody lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Branchology 101. So here's what we're going to see. We're going to look at the relationship between the branches and the vine. We'll look at the relationship between the branches and the vine. Then Then we will look at, or I should say, I should say that differently. We'll look at the relationship be, be, between the branches and, and the branches, branches to each other. And then we're going to look at, secondly, the privilege that comes from being called a friend of God, a friend of the true vine. And then lastly, we're going we're gonna to see this responsibility and privilege we have of being the friend of God is, a, is completely by the grace of God. That we could ever be called the friend of God. This calling that we are called to, to be a friend of God, is completely by God's grace. So that's what we're going to see. So here's the first thing, first basics, basic reality of branchology. Here's the first one. Branches in the vine are commanded to love the other branches. Branches in the vine. How many branches do we have today? Branches that are connected to Christ are commanded to love the other branches. So look to your left, look to your right. I know it may be your spouse. And you look at them, you're called, commanded to love them. To love them. You know what Jesus said? Look back to the text. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. So how many of you recognize something that Jesus is saying here? You recognize that he has said it before. You remember just a few weeks back, John 13, what did Jesus say? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. The same thing that Jesus said in John 13, he says again in John 15. So why does Jesus repeat himself? Why does Jesus have to repeat himself? Because he knows that the branches sometimes forget How many of you know that when you learn things, most of the time when you learn things, you learn them by repetition, by repetition. That's how we memorize scripture. That's how we learn math facts. That's how we learn the things that we have to learn for school. That's how we learn things we have to learn on our jobs. Those that have to teach us, they teach us by repetition. And Jesus was the greatest teacher that ever lived. And so if you're a teacher here today, and you don't use repetition, you're not teaching like Jesus. Jesus taught by repetition. He said, and this is not, this is not just a different conversation. This is the same conversation that began in the upper room in John 13. He just told them probably an hour or so earlier, this is a, a new commandment that you love one another. He comes back around and he says it again, that you, you would love. This is a, the commandment that you love one another. And so it shows us how important it is that we would love one another as Christians, as fellow branches. We are commanded by our Lord to love each other. Now, now listen, Jesus says this. Let's look back at the text. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. So what is Jesus saying here about love for one another? I think it's, it's really key in this text. You can see it. There's kind of two things he's saying here. The first one is this. Loving each other like Jesus loved is the standard. Love one another as I have loved you. That's the first thing. Loving one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, as Jesus loved, is the standard. Okay, that's the first thing. What's the second thing that we see about this love for one another? 
It's real simple. Look, what, look, look. It says that the standard is self-sacrifice. Love as Christ has loved. So the standard is sacrifice, sacrificial love. We are commanded to love as Christ loved, and the standard is sacrifice. No greater love has anyone than this, that someone would lay down their life for their friend, for their friends. Sacrifice. This is the standard. This is the standard. Self-sacrifice. The relationship between Christians is that of sacrificial love. Why? Because that's how Jesus loved us. He, he paid the ultimate price. He made the ultimate sacrifice by, by dying on the cross for my sin. Think about that. Think about that. When you think about a real-life situation, where if you were ever the cause of someone else's death, think about that. My sin is the reason why Christ hung on the cross. Your sin is the reason why Christ hung on the cross. The wrath of God that was poured out on the innocent Son of God was because of our sin. This is called sacrifice. This is self-sacrifice. He loved us by laying down his life for us. And the standard is to emulate Christ in our love for the family of God. Wow. I don't know about you, but that's pretty stunning to think about. That I'm to love you like Christ loved me. You're to love me like Christ loved you. Sacrifice. Look, look at, this is what we saw earlier in John 13. Jesus washes the disciples' feet in John 13. Then he says this, John 13, verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Wow. Jesus says, I've given you the example. He starts giving them the example in John 13. He washes their feet. And you know what's interesting is that he washes Judas's feet, who was going to be his betrayer. He washed his enemy's feet. How much more should we, quote unquote, wash the feet, serve those that are brothers, true brothers and sisters in Christ? We are called to love each other as Christ has loved us and served us. I, I love John reiterates this in his little epistle, 1 John 3. Listen to this. It's so compelling. 1 John 3 says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. John says, hey, this is the message we've heard. You remember, from the beginning, Jesus has been saying this, that we should love one another. Look at verse 16. We'll skip to verse 16. By this we know love. How do we know love? That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? You see what John is saying there? If anyone sees a brother or a sister in Christ and, and they're in need and we have goods that can meet the need and we don't meet the need, John is saying, how is it that the love of God abides in you? I mean, ouch, say, say ouch, or oh me, or oh my, or Lord help me. Wow, doesn't that pierce you the way it pierces me? Wow, listen to that. How, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let, listen, look, look, look at verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. He's looking at his disciples. 
He's reiterating it again. He's reminding them again. He's saying, brothers, you must love each other as I've loved you. And they don't even know the full extent of the love that he's about to pour out. We're on the other side of the cross, the other side of the resurrection, so we can understand the depth of what Jesus is about to do for them. But he's looking at them, and he's telling them again, listen, you must love one another as I have loved you. And here's what I'll say. Let's think about this for a moment. In in a world that constantly pushes us towards self-centered living, the message of Jesus stands out for us today, doesn't it? His message to us about loving one another, we are so forced, we are so pushed, not forced, but pushed into ideas and mindsets that make us think about ourselves more than anyone else. Self-centered thinking. And, and so then you, you add to the mix, we're already wired from birth in our sinful nature to be self-focused. You look at, you look at children, you don't have to teach them to be selfish. You have to teach them to share. You gotta teach them to share. You gotta teach them, you, have to, you, you don't have to teach them to hit other kids. You have to teach them what? To not hit other kids. You don't have to teach kids to not, uh, to, you don't have to teach kids to steal. You have to teach them to not steal somebody else's cookie at lunch, right? So, so, so we are wired by nature to be self-centered. Then, then add to the mix the devilish lies that move us towards taking advantage of people for our own ends. Is it any wonder we have a hard time loving each other in the body of Christ? I mean, think about it. And this is why I, I love what James says, James 4.1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? What causes fights and quarrels amongst brothers and sisters in Christ? It's, it's, it's something that's at war within us. We, we want and we covet so we can't have and so we fight and we bicker and we it's with it's within it's within and what often is minor and trivial in the big picture what's often minor and trivial and not a big deal can often divide believers secondary issues third level issues divide believers what what was small becomes big what small becomes big and we divide and we separate we fight and we bicker small things become big. It it reminds me of the story of two brothers, true story of two brothers that inherited, identical twin brothers that inherited the family business. So they inherited their their dad's, their grandfather's and then their dad's business. And and so they, at a normal day where they're doing business, one of the brothers is in the back of the business and the other is up front running the cash register. And the one up front running the cash register uh, has a purchase, uh, an exchange of money, and he, he, he puts a dollar on top of the cash register, and he closes the cash register. He had forgotten to put that dollar in, and he just he walks away. And, and the other brother saw from a distance that the dollar was there. And so later on during the day, the brother who was in the back that saw the dollar on top of the cash register asked his brother, said, what'd you do with the dollar? It's not there anymore. It's gone. And he said, well, I... I I forgot, I forgot to put it back in the cash register. And so, the true story, they began to, the, the, the one brother who didn't work the cash register began to kind of question the motives of his brother. 
and kind of even insinuate that possibly he, he stole it and put it in his pocket. And so what began as a, a small mistake by the one brother at the cash register blew up and eventually because of accusation, because of something small, it blew up and eventually they, they wanted nothing to do with each other. Their relationship over the course of two or three months began to be severed even to the point where they built a partition in the middle of their business and they created two businesses two different entrances into the business. True story. And so 23 years later, 23 years later, an old man, an elderly man, walks up to the business, doesn't know which door to go in, but walks into one of the doors of the business, one of the businesses, and, and asks the, the older, the old man that's at the cash register, says, is this so-and-so's business? Is this, uh, is this, is this still ran by this family? He said, yes. He said, well, I'm, I'm in the right place. He said, 23 years ago, I was homeless, I had no money, and I was starving, and I had never stolen anything in my life. He said, and I was tempted beyond measure, and when you turned your back, I took the dollar that was sitting on the cash register, and I took off. And the man began to weep uncontrollably, and he said, he said, I need you to come tell this same story next door. And he told the story next door, and both men wept uncontrollably. Do you get it? True story. Trivial, something small, blew up to something big, divided brothers for 23 years. And this is what happens. Our tendency, this is what can happen. Our tendency is division. Jesus knows that our tendency is division. Division is our default position. So he's looking at these disciples and he's telling them, believe the worst first instead of believing the best. And listen, and I think that Jesus knows that division is going to be their tendency after his arrest. And the blame game is going to begin to happen. The blame game, you know, how did, how could you let this happen? How come you didn't know about Judas? You should have known about Judas. Come on, Peter, you're always speaking up. It's your fault, Peter. You should have known, right? That's probably what we would have said about Peter. Peter should have known. He had all the answers before, right? When Jesus asked, uh, um, who do men say that I am? Who was it that stood up and had the answer? It was Peter. John, John and Peter had a little competition. Maybe John, maybe John, after the, after the betrayal of Jesus, maybe John leaned into Peter and said, it's your fault that this happened to our Lord, Right? Division, I think Jesus knows, he knows his creation. He knows that division is our tendency. He knows that these brothers are going to need each other more than ever before. So he repeats himself. This is the commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. So, what about us today? What about us? That's first century disciples. That's the first 11 disciples that Jesus is talking to. But you know what? Jesus is talking to you today. He's talking to me today. What about us today? Will we as branches of the vine love the other branches in, in, in our life? Will we as branches love each other? So, so would, would you answer the question for me today? Will, will, will we love each other? Amen. Will we love in word or will we love in deed? We'll love in deed. May we love in not just word and speech, but may we love in deed, in action. So I don't know who you know in this church, and it's often hard to know everyone in this church. It's often hard to know every situation and need that is in people's lives. But in as much as you can know about people's needs, my challenge to all of us here today is that we would be the source of the, of the need being met. 
that when we hear about a tragedy, when we hear about someone struggling within our body here at Living Word Church, that we would step out up to the occasion, that we would seek to meet needs, we would seek to, to make a phone call, to, 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 if we don't know their number, to reach out on Facebook, send a private message. And, and it could be as simple as, hey, I'm meeting the need of letting you know that we're praying for you, that we, we know you're walking through something, we know you're going through something, and we want to help you to know that you're seen, that you're heard. So branch to branch love. Would we love each other today here at Living Word? That's the first branchology. Branchology 101, branches in the vine are commanded to love other branches. Secondly, branchology 101, second thing we've seen in this text, branches in the vine are called the friends of God. So these branches that must love each other, these branches that are in the vine, they're called the friends of God. Look back to our text. Basics right here. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You are my friends. You know, I, I think, as I was studying this, I think that when Jesus said to these disciples, you are my friends, that they were shocked. I don't think that when Jesus said this, that they thought, yep, knew it, I knew it. I knew Jesus was my friend. He's a little closer to me. Peter, James, and John may, may have said, yeah, he's your friend, but he's really ours. He took us on top of the mountain. Don't ever forget that. <laughs> Division, right? Uh, but I don't think they were like, yep, that's how we see Jesus. He's our friend. Jesus is saying something powerful right here. You are my friends. You are my friends. What did the, what did the disciples call Jesus? Did they call him their buddy or their friend? No, look, look back at John 13, 13. Do you remember the upper room? Jesus washed their feet. Jesus said, John 13, 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. So Jesus tells them here in John 15, you're my friends. I don't think any of them thought, yeah, I, I knew that. I think they thought, how in the world am I your friend? You're my Lord, Rabbi, teacher, Lord. I will go anywhere for I will die for you. You are my Lord, not friend, not friend. Abraham, what was Abraham called? Friend of God. There's only two people that were called friends of God or alluded to being friends of God. One was Abraham. The other was Moses. Moses, the Bible says that Moses spoke, that God spoke to Moses as a friend speaks to a friend, Right? And now, disciples are called friends, called friends. What did Jesus mean they would be friends now? Look back to our main text. Very clear. You are my friends. There's one word that's right there in the middle. What's that word there? So there's a contingency. There's a, there's a, there's a, word, there's a word that says that, that tells us that, you're not my friend if you don't do something, right? So what does it say there? You are my friends if you do what I command you. So you could say that the friendship that disciples had with Jesus would be called friendship through obedience. Friendship through obedience. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So what kind of friendship, listen, just think about it for a second. What kind of friendship in your life requires obedience from one friend to the other? No friendship that you want. You think about if your friend starts bossing you around, even as little kids, what, what do you say as, as a kid when your friend starts to boss you around? You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. 
You, you, you lose those friends pretty quickly. When the friend starts to be bossy, you're like, ah, I get that from my mom and dad. I don't need you. Or as adults, friends start bossing you around. Like, I, I get that from my boss at work. When I'm, when I'm having coffee with you at PJ's, I don't need you to tell me what to do. Right? This is a different type of friendship. You, my friend, if, I, if you do what I command you, what does that mean? Well, well you got to ask the question, well, what does Jesus command if we want to know how to become a friend of God, what does he command? If you do what I command, well, what does he command? Real simple, 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded. So what's the commandment? The commandment to be a friend of God, to do what his commandment, to do what he commanded, is that you would believe. So that's how you become a friend of God. How do you become a friend? You believe on Jesus. You believe on Jesus Christ. How many believers do we have here today? You are friends of God because you do what he commands. In, in essence, what, what it means is it's faith in him. Faith in Christ is the obedience that Jesus requires to be his friend. But this friendship is not a friendship, hear me, listen, this friendship is not a friendship of equality. We're not equal with Christ, with God. This friendship is, 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 is a friendship of submission to the deity, authority, and truth of Jesus. So when we think of our friends, we think of peers. We think of peers. And that's why I, I don't think that these disciples, when they heard Jesus said that you can be, you are my friend, that they were thinking that they were equal with Jesus. They knew, they, equal with Jesus? Peter could be the only one that could come close to saying he was equal a little bit, right? He walked on water a little while. But he fell down to prove that he wasn't equal with Jesus. Only one person can walk on water and calm the seas. So none of them thought they were equal with Jesus. So this doesn't mean, if you, to say I'm a friend of God, you remember the song, I am a friend of God. I am a friend, right? It doesn't mean that, that I play chess with Jesus or golf with Jesus or, or we're buddies. Jesus is my homeboy, whatever that means. No, no, the point is this. Listen, don't miss the point. The point of this is the opposite of friend is enemy. That's the point. Who would you rather be, an enemy of God or a friend of God? Branchology 101, you are my friends if you obey me. You're my friends if you believe in me. If you believe in me, so, so that's the first aspect of what it means to be a friend of God. What's another aspect of this friendship we have with Jesus? We'll look back to the text, John 15, 15. This is so good right here. No longer do I call you servant. So he says, you're my friend if you obey me and you believe in me, but no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. And here's what it means, another thing of what it means to be a friend. For all that I have heard, Jesus says, from my Father, I have made known to you. So the basics of it here is that Jesus is saying that a servant, a slave, doesn't know the Father's will. A slave doesn't get inside information about what is going on in the family business. A servant doesn't get that inside track. Jesus is saying, I am no longer calling you servants. I'm calling you friends, and, and, and you're my friend if you obey me. And a proof that you're my friend is that I'm going to give you insider information. I'm going to tell you the Father's will. Jesus is telling these future apostles, I think one aspect of this is I have revealed to you divine truth, the Father's will. And as God revealed to them divine truth, what, what do we have? Divine truth. That's how we got scripture. Jesus inspired through Holy Spirit inspiration, 
the apostles to write Holy Scripture. That's one aspect of it. But how do we as friends of God by faith come to know this divine truth? Through the Word of God. Through what we are studying right now, God's word is God's will. So Jesus is telling these first disciples, I've revealed to you the will of the Father. And now through the apostles and the writing of Holy Scripture, now we can know the will of the Father through God's word. Are you tracking with me? The point Jesus is making is that his friends are his friends because they've obeyed him and they listen to him and he communicates to them divine truth. This is branchology 101. This is basics. Only believers or friends of God can truly understand God's word and God's will. Listen, only believers or friends of God can truly understand God's word or God's will. The Bible is for believers. Did you know that? The Bible is for believers. Believers have eyes to see and ears to hear. The Bible is for believers. The gospel is for non-believers. But the Bible, whenever you become a believer through the power of the gospel, the Bible is divine revelation that you as a believer can understand through the illuminating work of the Spirit. We'll talk about that here in the next week or two. Listen to this. This is Matthew 13. To reiterate what I'm saying here, Matthew 13 Then his disciples came and said to him, Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? Speaking of those who aren't disciples, why do you speak to them in parables? And he he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see. Hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. So so do you see it? Do you hear it? Do you hear divine truth? Every time you open the word of God, do do you think about that? Every time. You open the word of God. Have you thought about how you're, you're open to it? You, you, you are wanting to hear. Have you been around people in your life that aren't believers and and they don't want anything to do with it? Maybe they're okay with spirituality, they're okay with some general sense of God, but whenever you start getting into specific realities and truth claims, no, 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 that's too narrow. That's too narrow, I can't go there as a non-believer, but as a Christian, divine truth, truth claims of Scripture, we rest in it, don't we? Why? It's because we have eyes to see. Our eyes have been opened, we have ears to hear. Our ears have been opened, 2 Corinthians Four says this, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Divine truth. You're my friends, Jesus says. And one way that you can know you're my friend is that you, you can hear divine truth. You can hear it. You have eyes to see, ears to hear, for our eyes only, for our ears only, for our, I thought about, when I thought about this, I thought about the president's daily brief, the PDB, the president's daily brief. What's the president's daily brief? President's daily brief is a daily summary of all high-level, all-source information and analysis on national national security issues produced for the president and his key cabinet members. Uh, just if you want to know the history of it, the, the PDB, the President's Daily Brief, uh, has been presented in some form to the President since 1946 when Harry S. Truman 
received the daily summary. The PDB, the President's Daily Brief. His eyes only, his ears only, and those he allows in to see national security information. His eyes and ears only. So, you could say it like this. I think Jesus is saying, hey, you're my friends. And you know what you have? You have a BDB. I know this is corny. A believer's daily brief. A believer, a BDB. Every day, a believer. What's the BDB? What's the believer's daily brief? Do you know it? Is it on your lap? We put it on the screen sometimes for you. But is it on your lap? It's right here, right? The BDB. You can call this your BDB now. The believer's daily brief. If you want to be briefed on high-level information that some people have no eyes or ears to hear or see, just open it up every day, and you get the believer's daily brief. Amen? What a treasure. Trump Trump's got in trouble for some of his stuff, right? I don't know. I think all presidents steal some of those, those things, don't they? We don't got to worry about it. We don't, nobody's coming looking for this. We're not going to get indicted for having a, I mean, maybe not right now getting indicted for having a Bible, but what a treasure. What a privilege to be called friends of God, to have access to the word of God, to have, to be able to have divine truth, to have truth. Our world is looking for truth. And every day when you open your BDB, your believer's daily brief, and you look at the word of God, you have access to something that some people don't want anything to do with. They, they, their eyes and their ears are closed to it, but we have the privilege because the Holy Spirit's opened our eyes and our ears to see it and to know it. So a question to ponder, I think, for all of us, for myself included, is how often do we take for granted who and what we have access to? How often do we take that for granted? It's just kind of like, it's just, yeah, I, I, I had my BDB today, <laughs> my Believer's Daily Brief, and I, I went about my day and and you just kind of, we just take it for granted. We have access to the throne room of God. We have access to divine truth every single day as believers. So, disciples, believers, what have we seen so far? Branchology 101. Branches in the vine are commanded to do what? What are we commanded to do? Love one another. And Branchology 101, secondly, branches in the vine are called the friends of God. What a great reality. And lastly, uh, branches in the vine, thirdly, are chosen for this calling. Branches in the vine are chosen for this calling. We're chosen for the calling to love one another. We're chosen for the calling to be called the friends of God. We are chosen for this calling. I, that's not what I said. That's what Jesus said. Look at John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Sit there for a moment and think about that. You, this, this is the first 11 disciples. Think about that. He's telling them, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So Jesus looks as these disciples and reminds them of something very profound, he said, I chose you. I chose you. I picked you. You ever been in an elementary schoolyard? School, it's time to play a sport and everyone's got to get picked. 
choose you, I choose you, I choose you. Why, what's the standard for picking people? He's good, he's tall, she's fast, she's athletic. And all the ones who aren't tall, fast, or athletic, they're just like, didn't get picked. It's forced pick later. Okay, I'll take him on my team. Jesus said, I chose you. Here's, here's, here's what I think Jesus is saying here. I think this is the profound truth here. He says, listen, listen, listen. You're my friends because you obey me. You're my friends. And because you listen to me, because you have ears to hear, I've told you divine truth. So I want you to stop and think about that. This is earth-shattering. This would, I think, would have been earth-shattering for those disciples. He's saying, you're my friends, and I am telling you the Father's will. I've told you the Father's will. I'm going to tell you the Father's will. And I think, I think Jesus leans in. Just in case you guys think you have a fat head, you're starting to get, hey, I'm, me and, we're friends, we're tight, we're homies, we're bros, and he's telling me the Father's will, Yahweh's will? He's going to tell me the Father's will? Hey, hey, guys, don't forget, I chose you. You see the difference? Hey, I chose you. You didn't choose me. You're not my friend because you're something special. You're not my friend because you're athletic and tall and fast and handsome and good, right? You're not my, don't get a fat head. I'm the one who chose you. You didn't find me. I found you. You weren't looking for me. Do you remember when the the disciples were called? How many of those disciples were looking for Jesus? He found them. He found them. I went looking for you. That's actually what happened. And I think this is what Jesus is reminding them of. Do you remember? I called you. I chose you. I think one one, one thing to look at to help us fill this in a a little bit, earlier in the Gospel of John, there were some false believers who walked away because Jesus started talking about the cost of following him. Do you remember in John 6 when Jesus said, um, basically, to be my disciple, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood? And uh, people thought, well, there's some cannibalism going on around here, so we're out. Do you remember that? John 6, 6, 6. You can learn to turn in your Bible, John 6, 6, 6. Look at this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And you know who's going to speak up, right? Because he's always got the answer. Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Simon Peter speaks up. Speaks up. He says, we're not going anywhere, Jesus. We're not like those, those dudes. They left, but we're with you, Jesus. We're not going anywhere. You have the words of life. We understand. We know who you are. So does Jesus high-five Peter here? Does he say, you got it, man. You've got it. You are some stud. You got it figured out, Peter. What is, is that what Jesus does? No, listen to what Jesus says. John 6, 70. This is Jesus' reaction. Notice what it says. Jesus answered them. Peter says, we're not going away. You got the words of eternal life. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you? The 12. And yet one of you is a devil. I think this is the same picture going on in this final conversation Jesus is having before his arrest. In essence, Jesus is saying this. Guys, please don't get it mixed up here. The only reason you're my friends, the only reason I have told you my father's will is because I chose to. Because I chose to. It's not because you're extra special. It's not because you're a great group of religious guys. It's simply because I chose to set my love on you. That's it. I mean, think about the disciples. None of them were extra special. 
They're failures as fishermen, right? How many times they're trying to catch fish and they can't catch any fish? Jesus says, okay, you're not, since you can't catch fish, I'll, just catch some men for me, okay? <laughs> it's clearly you can't catch fish, so catch some men. We're going to commission you to catch men now. So these weren't like these super religious guys. They were sinners. One was a tax collector in Matthew, right, who was a hated sinner of the Jews. And so these guys were not like the A-team. They weren't the Navy SEALs of the Jewish religion. Jesus called them, and he chose them because he set his love upon them. And I think this is what Jesus is reminding them of. It's not because of who you are. It's not because of what you've done that you're my friends. It's because I chose you. It's because I love you. That's why. Then this, listen, my brothers and sisters, let's pivot here for a second. Listen, lean into me. This is the core of what the gospel is all about. We don't work our way up to God. We don't climb the ladder of self-help religion until we figure out how much is enough. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not, I'm going to work hard enough so then God will choose me. The gospel is, is that I'm a complete failure. I've blown all my chances. I'm a sinner of all sinners, and Christ somehow in his mercy looks down and chooses me and chooses you. In spite of all of my sins, in spite of all of my failures, in spite of all the lack of goodness that I have within me, God chooses me. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Branches in the vine, branches that are connected to the vine, who is Jesus? They're branches because he calls and chooses them and grafts them into the vine, apart from anything they bring to the table. You can't ever say, You can never say as a believer, I brought this to the table, so that's why I'm yours. I did this, so God, that's why I'm your friend. Nothing to the table. We come empty. We come empty-handed. We come with nothing that we can add. You You cannot add anything to the gospel. You can't add anything to your salvation. You can't add anything or do anything that God would say, I'm gonna choose you because of what you've done. It's not the gospel. Branchology 101, and, 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 and this is the point. Here's the point. What a freedom. What a freedom, and what a mercy. So my question for you is this. Listen, lean into me real quick as I finish this. Do you think you've earned this favor? Do you think you've earned it? Do you think you did something for this gospel transformation to take place in your life? Do you think you, you did? If you do, Just if you do think that you've earned it and that you've done something to earn God's mercy and grace in your life, go ahead and boast about it. Go ahead. We'll do a little pause. We'll do a little praise break. You know how praise break? Go ahead. Pat yourself on the back. Good job. High five, Peter. You did really good. Right? No, that's silly, right? We can, none of us can say that, but, but if you think you did, take, go ahead, take credit for it. You know, I'm, I'm reminded, here's what I'm re- reminded of uh, about taking credit. I, I heard a story one time of Andy Reid, since we started with football, we'll end with football. Coach Andy Reid, who, who, when he used to be the QB coach for the Green Bay Packers, uh, there was a janitor that worked uh, for the Green Bay Packers, and, and he was there uh, before hours, after hours, all the time, and trying to get a conversation with Andy Reid because the janitor thinks he's got a play. This is a true story. He's got a play that Andy Reid needs to run for his offense in, in the game. So janitor keeps bugging Andy Reid and says, Andy, 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 listen, listen, listen. I have a play. It's going to work. 
And then he finally gave in to him and said, okay, look, here's a card, write it down. So the guy writes it down and gives it to Andy Reid. Andy Reid looks at it and goes, huh, it's not too bad. And uh, doesn't tell the janitor anything, but the, you know, the janitor's at the game the next Sunday. And lo and behold, right before halftime, Andy Reid calls the play. He's the, he's the quarterback coach. And so he calls the play and it scores a touchdown. So the janitor later tells Andy Reid, he said, we were in the stands watching it. And we're high-fiving. I'm telling my family, that's my play. That's my play. That's, that's, that's my play. So, 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 so what does Andy Reid do? What's he going to do? I mean, the temptation as a coach is to say, hey, that was me. I did it. I'm such a brilliant guy. Look at the play I made. No, Andy Reid went on national TV and told everybody that the play that scored the touchdown before halftime was from a janitor that works at our team offices. He gave credit where credit is due. Amen. And that reminds me, Andy Reid's story reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? So brothers, sisters, disciples, Jesus leans in and tells his disciples, you're my friends if you obey me. You're my friends. I'm telling you the secrets of the Father. But don't forget, with that great responsibility, don't forget it wasn't you. I'm not doing this. You're not my friends. And I'm not telling you the will of the Father because you're special. I'm telling you the will of the Father, and you're my friends because you have believed on me by faith. And you didn't believe on me by faith by anything that you've done on your own. You believe on me by faith because faith is a gift from me. It's all of me and none of you. So I end with this. All praise to Jesus Christ. All praise to Jesus Christ, the high king of heaven our King forever. Amen.